My name's Abby, and um, I'm going to start completely off script. Um, this morning, I'm going to be asking Sarah to come and do the reading at some point. Not just yet. Hold your horses. <laughs> but I, I emailed Sarah in the week to say, here's the, here's the passage I'd like you to, to read um, for me. Here's what I'm going to be preaching on this Sunday. Um, and then two days later, I realized I'd emailed her the complete wrong verse. So emailed her again to be like, nope, not that one. Please, can you read this verse for me instead? Um, but actually, Sarah came to me this morning and said, I know you sent me the wrong verse to start with, but this verse really stood out to me and I would love to share it. It says, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. And I just really love that she shared that with me this morning and that this will be a time of refreshing to share um, for all of us this morning. And also that the Lord speaks to us in our mistakes, that I made a mistake this week, but the Lord has spoken through that. In the start of Acts, the disciples are, I mean, I think probably quite understandably scared and confused. Uh, often in the life of Jesus, or often in our life, we can relate to not knowing what we're supposed to do next, but I can't imagine being a disciple in this situation. Following Jesus for them must have been a real roller coaster. They had seen real highs of thousands of people coming to Jesus, getting healed, this amazing loving man, people being fed. But then they had also seen real lows of beatings and whippings and what they thought was almost certainly the end. And then he shocked them all by coming back and by defeating death. And then he goes again and he tells them to wait. That's the only instruction he gives them. He says, wait here and something is coming for you. Someone is coming. Now, I don't know that I would have coped as well as they did in this period of waiting. If you're like me, maybe your fight or flight might have kicked in. That you might think, fight. We have to fight for justice. This man who we love, who we have followed faithfully, this man has been killed unfairly and unjustly, and we must fight. We must avenge him. We must show his conspirators that they will not win. Or flight. We must run. They have killed him, and we have done those things as well. We were right there by his side. We were cheering him on. We performed miracles. We taught the same things that he taught. Surely they are coming for us next. Jesus warned us that we might have to lay down our lives and surely now it's more likely than ever. But the disciples did what they were instructed and they waited. They waited and it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the rest of the book of Acts is a beautiful outpouring of this spirit they received when they were being obedient to Jesus. When they were told to wait for this Holy Spirit, they probably didn't know what to expect. And I think that now, even with 2,000 years of experiences to read about, we still don't fully know what to expect when we ask for the Holy Spirit to come into our lives. But we can be assured that when he moves, incredible things will happen. So over this series, we're going to be thinking of the fruits of the Spirit listed in Galatians. These markers of the Holy Spirit that we sang last week. Does anyone, anyone want to sing it? Yes, <clears throat> love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. So last week, Mark preached on joy. Joy um, for the man who was healed when Peter and John were, were coming through. Joy for the man that was healed. Joy for, for Peter and John, who I bet were thrilled to be following in Jesus' footsteps. Joy for the people who witnessed it. Joy in the knowledge that miracles happen. And today I'm going to be speaking about what happens next in that story. 
Because as we see in the life of Jesus, so quickly can Palm Sunday turn into Good Friday. Can crowds cheering in adoration turn into them jeering and condemning? So I'm going to invite Sarah up now. And I'm going to warn all of you, because I'm a children's pastor, there's going to be some audience participation. So Sarah's going to do the reading for us. And then I'm just going to ask the question to all of you. If you could sum up the story, sum up what you hear, like what's the main point? What's the main story? What happens today in the message? So Sarah. Okay. Thank you. Um, The reading is from Acts 4 and it is 1 to 22. (laughs) Not Acts 3. Okay. Um, Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the numbers of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Anas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Sorry, I've got to turn over. (laughs) Salvation is found in no, no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. (laughs) This is the word of the Lord. And just before I hand back to Abbey, (laughs) sorry, um, since I spoke to you earlier, (laughs) um, you said obviously the talk, I won't say what you said it was but anyway it's about reaching out to people generally and um the wonderful melvin who i have to big up melvin has done this and i'm i feel like crying it's so wonderful he's grown mint and this is mint with a message and he's put bible verses in it and um him and me and others want to give them out so you know if you want to give them share them to people 
Um, this is wonderful, and Melvin's done it, and he's, and he's done Bible um, readings um, on cards before, and we give them out to people, so that's, I don't know if you want to use that for anything. <laughs> Just to say. I'll work it in. Okay, work it in. Shall I leave it there? I'll take it. Thank you much. So, I asked you this, before that reading, to, I was going to ask people to sum up. Who would like to sum up the, the, what happened in today's story? I mean, Langs are on the front row, so... Going to come. How would you sum up today's story? What's happened? Um, uh, after the healing, um, uh, the 5,000 people that came to decide to follow Jesus were challenged on whether they wanted, were going to uh, follow in Jesus' name. And people were challenged. Um, uh, they, uh, there was a questioning about what, what to do next with all these people that are starting to follow Jesus. And Peter and John were saying, do we listen to God or do we listen to you? Do we follow in Jesus' name or do we listen to... Anyone else want to have a go at summing up? Jolie's hand up. Uh, Peter was preaching, and the leaders didn't like that, so they arrested him, but they couldn't do anything about it for PR reasons. (laughs) (laughs) So they had to let him go. Anyone else? Anyone else? I'll take one more. No? Fair enough. So I wanted to ask you what, what you thought about um, like the summing up of today's story. Because I read through this multiple times ahead of kind of preparing this. And, and every time I read through it, I thought, oh, so this is about um, last week, Peter and John healed. This week, Peter and John are thrown in jail. This is all about persecution. This is all about the hardships and the troubles and the trials. This is all about the bad things that happen in life. And in thinking so much about that, I nearly forgot to pay any attention to verse 4, which is the first thing you said, Charlie. Many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to be about 5,000. I had completely kind of skipped past the bit bit that said 5,000 people came to Christ because I was focusing so much on, oh no, the the Christians are in trouble. And I focused so much on the persecution that I I, I didn't remember the victory in that as well. I skipped past it. And I think we all know in life it's easier to hold on to negative criticism than it is to positive. It's easier to look to the struggles and to the victories. Whenever people ask if there's anything that I would like pray for, my first thought is, what am I struggling with? What do I need? Why is it never, oh, what what do I want to say thank you to God for? Like, what do I want to give thanksgiving for today? What has God done recently? So in light of all this, the fruit that I want to focus on today is faithfulness what it means to be faithful to someone and how as Christians we remain faithful to Jesus in the lows whilst recognising and remembering all of the highs. Because I imagine that it's easy to be faithful to Jesus when you have just experienced the power of the Holy Spirit firsthand. That you've seen a man who who was disabled, who was lame, you've seen him run dancing and praising the Lord to the temple to celebrate the fact he's been healed. I imagine in those times, it's quite easy to be faithful to God. But it's not so easy when being faithful means standing strong in your convictions, even if that means being thrown in jail. Because following the miraculous healing we heard last week, the men continue to preach about Jesus, and it says it greatly disturbs the priests and the guards. In verse 3 and 4, we read, They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men believed grew to be about 5,000. So we read that they were thrown in jail before we read there were 5,000 people that came to Christ. And so it made me wonder, did they know? 
As they were in jail, did they know there are 5,000 Christians now? Maybe they were sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, today has been absolutely incredible. Look at all we achieved in the name of Jesus. Or perhaps they were sitting there thinking, today might have been a complete bust. We healed that one person. That was great. That was amazing. But then I don't know, I don't know how the rest of the day has gone from there. And now we're sat here in jail. I wonder if they knew the impact they had that day. This is something that we pray about pretty much every week here as, as a staff team at this church. We pray that whether we know it or not, in our mission to share the gospel, that there will be an impact and lives will be changed, whether we know that or not. One of the absolute favorite parts of my job here is our baby and toddler group, Tower Tots. And I'm, I'm not just saying that because some of the people are here. <laughs> Each week I get to meet people and build friendships with them and tell them about my faith, why I believe it, and sometimes why they should believe it as well. And I have no idea what impact that conversation is having on them. Maybe absolutely nothing. Maybe I'm just the crazy Christian lady they endure to get to the free coffee and cake. Or maybe they go home and they really ponder that parable that I told them or that little Bible verse or they look up that podcast that I mentioned or they come back the next week with a follow-up question. When I'm facing tough times of my own faith, I remain faithful to Jesus and to my cause in sharing him even though I've got no idea what the impact is. In the seasons when we see our numbers here growing and when we see miraculous answers to prayer, when I invite people to Tower Tots and they turn up, it's easy to feel faithful but it's actually not what the bible describes as faith in hebrews 11:1, we read that faith is assurance of the things hoped for and convictions of the things that are not seen faith is not about celebrating the victories but having assurance in the convictions and in the waiting in the unknowns and in what could look like the failures as peter and john are sat in that prison cell They may not have had any idea of the magnitude of their teaching that day. What they did know is that Jesus was tortured and beaten and killed for doing such things. And they're sat there in a prison cell just waiting again. It would have been tempting to lose faith in this moment, to give in to fear. But instead they remembered the victories that they have shared with Jesus. They look beyond their current circumstances and they stay faithful knowing there were many more to come. And in those times of adversity, the faithfulness of their witness was all the stronger. I was chatting to Mark the other day, Mark who spoke to you last week, um, and he was asking what it is I was going to be sharing and what my message would be. And he said that he was very jealous of me because I had a really great Bible verse that he wanted to use in his talk last week. (laughs) It's a verse we find in 13. It says, when they, so the, the religious leaders... Um, the ones persecuting the, the Peter and John. He said, when, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. These unschooled, ordinary men had no qualifications other than having been with Jesus. And that was all they needed. They were not formally trained, They had passed no exams. They had no script that they had memorized. My friend told me the other day that he knows somebody who is an amateur professional online gamer. And I I pulled him up on the contradicting nature of that title and said, well, how can you be an amateur professional? Um, 
But perhaps that is what we are all called to be, that an amateur is someone who does something for pleasure and not as a job. And a professional is someone who takes part in something as an occupation, but more than a pastime. The majority of us in this room, me included, are not formally schooled when it comes to scripture. Whilst knowing that I am uniquely and wonderfully created in God's image, I am also perfectly ordinary. <laughs> there are currently, at least that I know of, four ordained people in this room right now. That means there are four ordained people who have studied theology and been priested. And again, I am not one of them. And yet, I'm the one standing up here talking to you today as an ordinary, unschooled girl. Me standing up here today is not a marker of any qualifications or any exams I have passed, but of faithfulness and willingness to share the life-changing story that Jesus wants us to share. Can you imagine how quickly the church would die out if we relied purely on clergy? That <laughs> they are like our clergy in this room, you are all amazing. But imagine if every time I wanted to tell someone about Jesus, I was like, hold up, let me call Philippa. I'm going to pass the phone over. <laughs> the church would die out so quickly if we only relied on our trained, schooled clergy to share the good news of Jesus. I may be paid to work here, but my life as an amateur professional sharer of Jesus began long before my first paycheck, and it continues long after I leave the office at five. I have no real qualifications for this other than I have been in the presence of Jesus and what better training could there be? Peter and John could have felt inferior sharing these words under these circumstances because I know that I still make mistakes when I'm teaching. Somebody earlier asked if I ever get nervous when I stand up here and I think, yeah, sometimes because I, I do make mistakes sometimes. Even when I, was, when I teach the kids, the other week I was downstairs and one of your children said this wonderful thing. Um, I was teaching something and I got something wrong. I told the children something incorrect about the Bible and this child put his hand up and he corrected me and he said, no, that's not true. He, he corrected me and I said, oh, this is amazing. We are all learning today. And he said, I'm not. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think I've told the parents who that was. But... <laughs> They could have felt inferior standing up here preaching. They could have been too nervous to get the right words out. But instead, Peter and John stand boldly in front of the religious leaders because they are confident in what they have to share. They quote scripture, they share Jesus' words, and they even rebuke people. They said in verse 9, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you all the people of Israel... It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. They are not pulling any punches, and they are not softening their words. They are simply reporting the facts and staying faithful to Jesus and to the truth. I personally might not want to rebuke the people who had just thrown me in jail and have the power to throw me in jail again. Um, but they stay faithful the only thing that matters to them is being faithful to Jesus, whatever the consequences. After coming out of jail, they could have walked away quietly, been proud of what they achieved, because they had already achieved so much. And they could have gone off to live quiet and safe lives, gone back to their ordinary lives. But they say in verse 20, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. These men who are facing persecution 
who had witnessed Jesus' crucifixion and had been thrown in jail themselves, they still said, we just can't help it. We just can't help but talk about Jesus, about share what we have seen. And this made me think about how I approach evangelism. Because I wonder if any of you ever, um, when you're talking to a colleague or a friend or a neighbor, you are having an inner, a battle in your inner monologue thinking, how do I work Jesus into this conversation? How do I talk about Jesus here? You're looking for kind of any opening, scouring their words for anything that might indicate that they are open to hear about Jesus. Or maybe you are the complete opposite, that when you're talking to people, you're thinking, oh, I really hope that nothing about faith comes up. I really hope I don't have to talk about it. When people say, how was your Sunday? You talk about everything except church. Years ago, I was listening to a talk on evangelism and of sharing our faith, and I was suddenly struck by how I share about my, my human relationships. For those of you that don't know me, I'm married to a man called Michael. And if me and you have a conversation, it would be very odd if Michael didn't come up at any point in that conversation. I'm likely to talk about him because he is such a huge part of my life. It would be weird if we had a few conversations and I never mentioned him. Same, I'm sure a lot of you are parents in the room. I'm sure if you have a conversation with someone, it would be odd if at no point in that conversation you didn't mention your kids because they're such a huge and major part of your life. They are naturally going to come out of your mouth. You are naturally going to talk about them. I mean, trainer will show you about 10 pictures as well. <laughs> I also love Jesus and he is such a huge part of my life so why doesn't his name come as naturally out of my lips as Michael's does I cannot help but talk about Michael but talking about Jesus takes some thought unless something drastically changes in my life I'm incredibly unlikely to get thrown into jail for talking about my faith but am I worried about negative consequences of sharing my faith Will I face opposition? Will people ridicule me? Or will I say the wrong thing? Will I give people a false impression? Will I be a bad witness? Will my attempts to introduce people to Jesus actually have the complete opposite effect and turn them away? And this is why I think what Peter and John say in verse 9 is so important. When they said, Know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And then in verse 12, they say, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. In sharing boldly, it is not their job to interpret or to, to reword into a nicer and kinder way. It is simply to report. They are faithful to Jesus by simply telling the truth. There's no bending or twisting. They are simply telling the truth. And I think we struggle with that sometimes as Christians, especially when we know that the truth can be uncomfortable. It can be uncomfortable for us to say it, and it can be uncomfortable for other people to hear it. But looking through the Gospels, Jesus made people uncomfortable a lot. He challenged them, he inspired them, and ultimately he taught people how to be kinder and more loving because of it. If we are telling the truth, we are telling the truth because we want the world to look more like heaven, to be a more kinder and more loving place because of the life of Jesus. I'm going to finish up now, so I wonder if the band would like to come and join me behind me. I spoke at the very beginning of this message about imagining the disciples in the wake of Jesus' death and them wanting justice for him. Jesus had been murdered 
And as our followers, we must avenge him. We must fight for him and to keep his work, his name and his message alive. We must show his conspirators that they will not win. For some people, justice means fighting. Peter, just a few chapters earlier, cut off a servant's ear when they came to arrest Jesus. But Jesus said no. Justice means to be faithful to the teaching and to the life that Jesus modeled for us. And through our words and our actions, actively invite others to share in that. Let us speak boldly of Jesus' love, his kindness, and his incredible plan for us. And so my question for all of us, and me included, is how will we live lives in which we faithfully do Jesus justice? So I'm going to pray now, and then we're going to do some more worship. Um, And then at the end of the service, there's going to be, well, in the last bit of worship, we're going to do communion first. Um, There's going to be some people standing over here ready to pray. And if anyone would like prayer for anything, please come up. Please don't walk out of here this morning thinking, oh, I, wish, I wish I'd gone up for prayer, I wish this. Anything. It doesn't have to be about anything I've said today. It doesn't have to be about anything that's even happened today. If God has put something on your heart, please come up and get prayer for that. Or if there's any mint coming around with the Bible verses on, grab a mint plant. Because there could be a Bible verse in there that you didn't know you needed to hear today. Um, that's going to speak to your life in a way in which God has so perfectly orchestrated. So I'm going to pray now. Lord, let us pray that we as ordinary, unschooled people are empowered this morning by our faith. That we know that just by being here with Jesus this morning, even if this is our first time meeting him, we are qualified to speak boldly about your love for us and your love for others. Let us not be disheartened in the times when we don't see the impact. One day, somebody might be standing in heaven because of a conversation we don't even remember having in a supermarket. Water those seeds that have been planted, Lord. Let us not worry about the hows and the whens and the whats. Instead, Lord, we pray that your name comes so naturally to our lips that we cannot help but talk about all that we have seen and heard. Amen.